ways and it'll be a matter of minutes before the blade tears through me and I'm finished. I try to escape but I'm tied up in knots and I'm not able to break free from the cot. I see beside me some spicy meat and now troops of rats come in to eat. But I know the truth, it's more than a hunch when they finish the meat. Welcome back to Horror Cats and Witch Hats. This is Katie with Izzy. And, uh, well, we're at it again. Episode (laughs) four. Man, I feel like we've done more, but it's just because we've done multiple movies in, like, a single scenario. I know. Or episode. And yet, I'm I'm overwhelmed with the number of movies that we can do. (laughs) I'm impressed. And the way that we're screening these from uh, across the entire country is pretty impressive. I agree. So so we oh, you go you go. <laughs> so we decided to add a little something something to this episode because it's the first one of the month, and so we're going to start doing a this month in horror history. And luckily, I found a website that uh that ha- that keeps track of certain things like this. Oh, they're <laughs> everywhere. I really wanted to include uh like events in movies so like in this movie this happened in february you know like april 25th is my favorite day that kind of a thing oh okay got it um, so like in the in okay but every time i tried to google it all that came up was like movies coming out in february <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if you have any let us know <laughs> so i'm gonna start with birthdays of people that are horror related they're horror-tastic so this month in february we say happy birthday to brandon lee who starred in the crow unfortunately he was killed during a stunt when a prop gun jammed and was never fixed and then it accidentally fired and he died so that's sad but happy birthday from beyond (laughs) well so like it got jammed like in the process of like practicing and then nobody went back to like reload it and make sure everything was good so when they actually went to film everything, he gets shot. So that scene you see in the film is actually the real him getting shot. Fun fact. That is awful. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie, if you've seen The Crow, it's absolutely amazing. He did wonderful and it was really tragic to lose him, to be honest. And he was only 28. And to that so, yeah. movie, too, apparently. It's really good. Right? Anyways. That happened in that movie? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he died, like, right after that movie? Yeah. So uh, he got shot, and then they rushed him They rushed him to the emergency room, and he was in surgery for six hours, and it was just unsuccessful, and he died. Good thing they had all the other scenes, I guess. That's awful. They had, they had most of it done, which was really lucky. So there's only certain pieces of it that aren't him, and I think they did fairly well at kind of, like, hiding that. That is awful. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. That's what I also think that's what makes that movie really cool. But I love The Crow. I think it's a wonderful movie. Anyways, uh, Brian Krause, who is best known to me as Leo Us. from Charmed. Um, that's probably my number two favorite movie, show, television series, whatever. So pissed they took it off Netflix. Uh, yeah, for real. That's my comfort show. 
Um, George A. Romero, who directed Night of the Living Dead series. Alice Cooper. Sorry. Sorry. Jason Ritter, who starred in Freddy vs. Jason and Swim Fan, which is a wild Freddy vs. Jason. Freddy vs. Jason, one of my favorite movies, and I feel like it's super underrated. It's the only one I like Jason in, too. <laughs> I've read that in a few things, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Breck, who played the Creeper, and we all know about him. So Throwback to the first episode. He was yeah. the first and the second Creeper. Gave him all of the personality that we love so much. Exactly. Ariel Kebble, who starred in Vampire Suck, The Grudge 2, The Uninvited 2009 American version, and she's got some small parts in Vampire Diaries, if you're into that. Um, I love her as an actress. Mm-hmm. Actor. I don't know what they call them these days. Okay. So, Sir Sir Hedrick Hard... Sir... <laughs> this is a hard one. Sir Cedric Hardwick. Uh, he's considered one of the greatest character actors of all time. Um, he appeared in the films like The Invisible Man Returns and Ghost of Frankenstein. And he's also the, uh, the Hunchback in the 1939 version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame which I believe is the black and white version. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. You can take that out. (laughs) I'm going to leave it in because I don't know. Cool. Anthony Head from our number one favorite TV series, who played Rupert Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wonderful man. He's in a lot of other stuff, but that's the only one that I care about. Have you seen? Oh, so have you seen Repo the Genetic Opera? Never heard of it. It's wonderful. I'm it's wonderful it's one of the only things I can stand Paris Hilton in and even then I really can't stand her in it but it's a wonderful movie that I, I think we should possibly do I think is it her birthday in February too Paris Hilton. I believe so yeah I believe so uh, she was just here fun fact she was just here in Utah is she still DJing I don't know is that her thing <laughs> oh well anyway uh he also voices Balthazar in the current Doctor Who and he made an appearance in Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. That he does. He uh, he taps a guy on a coat, basically. That's all he says. And he asks for where Sweeney Todd goes to, or where he's, his barber shop is. Fun fact, Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett are tattooed on my feet. Full portraits. On I kind Fleet of know Street. a lot of that. Instead of Fleet oh, oh, Street. Cute. <laughs> cute. <laughs> Uh, Scout Taylor uh, Compton, who started Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2, Wicked Little Things, April Fool's Day, 2008. And she's she's beautiful. She's wonderful. 7,500. Um, of course, RIP the late Alan Rickman. We all Have know him. Monster. Harry Potter, Galaxy Quest. I think- oh, man, Galaxy Quest. Do you remember watching that camping all the time? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of my father's and I greatest camp hits wonderful um, movie he's also in robin hood man in tights i think one of those robin yes. hood movies no you know he's in the actual robin hood he's a uh, the Ro- robin hood men in tights is a different one. oh that's guy. the parody one and yeah the robin hood whatever one yeah because he plays the actual knight has the guy from dances with wolves in it okay yeah uh, Drew Goddard, writer and director of The Cabin in the Woods. He has also written episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and wrote Cloverfield and its upcoming sequel. Do you know when that comes out? I don't. Those were new to me. I didn't actually know that he was a part of those ones. Um, I don't know when that comes out, but I'm really excited about it. But Cabin in the Woods is one of my all-time favorite movies because it's so incredibly original and beautifully put together. Uh, James Wan. Co-creator of the Saw franchise. J- James Wan. What did I say? <laughs> Wan. Oh. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, yeah, he's James Wan is is a one of the all time horror horror directors. He knows he he knows the blood and the gore side of things with his Saw movies, and he did like Insidious and The Conjuring, and those are some of the best ghost movies in the world. I feel. <laughs> That's true. Those are really good ones. Yeah. Um, last birthday that we are going to talk about, Ali Larder, who co-starred in the films Final Destination 1 and 2, Resident Evil Extinction, and Afterlife, and House on Haunted Hill, the 99 version. I'm in love with her. She's wonderful. And, uh, man, she is a wonderful actress. And uh, Final Destination 2 teaches you never to drive behind logger trucks. Don't do it. <laughs> I think everyone was traumatized by that. It was it was horrific. It's, like I do not. Dr- I don't think anybody drives behind trucks anymore like that. Like lawyer trucks. It's kind of like a a mass PTSD for a whole generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I love uh, Ms. Larder. She she's also in. I think she's in Heroes. Yes. And uh, I don't know, just everything she's in. She's so good. So, uh, including on this month of horror history. Uh, we went through some release dates of horror movies that came out during this month. Horror movies that are released kind of in the off Halloween horror season kind of deal, fall-ish. Uh, it's because they think they're not going to get a better um, recognition or... They're like the B-quality B movies. Yeah. Is the assumption. So they don't think they're... Yeah, they're not, they don't think they're not going to do well. In 2000, Scream 3 came out, which is really good. I love Screams. Ghost faces tattooed on my arm. Fine. Yeah. Go to the tw- go to our Instagram. You can see a photo of it. It's really cool. Horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, so in 1931, Dracula with Bella Lugosi came out. Uh, one of the best known Draculas around. Uh, it's ni- nationwide release date. Fun little fact was supposed to be Valentine's Day, but New York City, it was to open on friday the 13th and tom browning sent a telegram to the theater owner begging him to open the film on the 12th instead because he was scared it was going to be bad luck i think that's so funny because i love friday the 13th personally but uh then going down in 1993 dead alive came out the movie's really fun 2004 the messengers came out that has a uh kristen stewart in it i remember watching that with you after I, soccer camp everybody everybody hates that movie i love it i, I still love it i think it's beautiful i really like that movie as well except oh, every good. time i see the guy who's the who ends up being the bad guy i think of big fat greek wedding yeah i yep me too we used to watch that in the basement too um dun, dun, 19- dun, the basement <laughs> in 1991 silence of the lambs came out which is a wonderful movie, and there's a new TV show coming out about it called Clarice. Ooh. Fun little fact. I'm really excited about it. In 1990, The Witches came out featuring Angelica Houston. Did you guys have to read that in elementary school? Yes. Okay, cool. We actually had a kid. We read it in third grade, I think. Second uh, second grade? First grade? I don't know. One of those grades. And I think a it was ki- third or fourth. I read it in first grade, actually. Oh, okay. And Damn. A, a kid was... I don't read like you. A kid was so scared he cried because we were oh. like it was the teacher reading it to us and he started crying while she was reading it and he was like I'm so scared of witches. That's so funny. There's a new one. They recreated it and it has Anne Hathaway. It's on HBO. It's pr- 
pretty good and I really she enjoyed it. is the way that they show the witches is creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. But you uh, ultimately can't outdo Angelica Houston. So. No. She she impersonated that perfectly. Yeah, she really did. Um, okay. So in 1959, House on Haunted Hill, the original came out and we are going to do that uh next question mark yes our next episode that comes out in two weeks will be the house on haunted hill original and then the two remakes yes the 99 uh versions. so yeah so this one is the one with vincent price uh the 1959 one it is wonderful again one of my dad and i's favorite movies to watch together didn't include a year on that one so i'm gonna skip midnight you need chain <laughs> but it came out in february sometime <laughs> <laughs> yeah midnight meat train came out in february sometime i don't remember what year i want to say it was like 2008 six ish sometimes around that it's a good movie i enjoyed it uh shutter island came out in 2010 and that movie's insane if you haven't seen it before uh army of darkness which is the third evil dead with bruce campbell came out in 1993 queen of the damned one of my all-time favorite vampire movies on earth Came out in 1993, two years before I was born. Mm, Queen of the Damned was um, 2002, I thought. Sorry, I it is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Queen of the Damned came out in 2002. Uh, sadly enough, the main actress of that, who played the queen, died tragically a little while after filming those. I think it was on a plane crash. In 1989, the Toxic, Toxic Avenger Part 2 came out. If you've never seen the Toxic Avenger, it's hilarious. It's terrible. It is so funny. And uh, Toxie is one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite guys. <laughs> 2005, Cursed with Christina Ritchie came out. The movie's amazing. I think a lot of people hate it, but it's cool. It's a werewolf movie. In 1987, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 the dream warriors came out dream warriors <laughs> such a good movie such a good one though we also have uh my bloody valentine was that the original or the remake remake okay which would make sense so my bloody valentine came out um sorry sometime in february i wrote these next few down and i did not include the years so that's why. it's okay <laughs> so uh sometime in February, in one year past uh, or present, uh, My Bloody Valentine came out. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. I think that was 2019, 18. Uh, the Lazarus Effect. I believe that was 16. Uh, the Witch, which I thought is a wonderful movie. It's I, I thought that was really underrated, too. A lot of people didn't understand it. I thought it was incredibly well done, personally. Uh, and then also Valentine. Starring David, is it Boranz? Borianis. Borianis. That's Angel. I don't know if you know. I know. I just never could never, I could never say his last name. I'm guessing at his name too. It's probably not, but. Cool. It's it's a little weird. It also has like Catherine Heigl and a few other people. And I've never seen it, but we should definitely do it. Okay. I'll have to look into it. I didn't, I, I don't know about this one. And. Last but not least, some real life horror tastic incidences dun, in February. Dun, dun. <laughs> uh St. Valentine's Day Massacre is an obvious one. In 1929, that was some big gang violence. Uh and this is what I'm most excited about. In 1959, the Diet Love Pass incident in Russia. If you have never heard of that, Google it. Um, there's plenty of podcasts that cover it. 
and it's so interesting. Nine backpackers in the Russian mountains somewhere mysteriously go missing in like the most awful way possible. And it's a huge mystery. There's tons of conspiracy theories. Um, go look it up. It's great. And I bet there was horror movies created after that because of that movie or that incident. I don't know if there's any specifically, but I'm sure that there are plenty of stories that reference it. Because um, one of the conspiracy theories, I don't know, uh, is a Bigfoot or like a Yeti or something. So oh, Andy watches the, the the tracking Bigfoot TV shows all the time and it drives me nuts. These people are like, oh. <laughs> trying to call them the thing. I'm like, look, you think this is going to work? Really? I just saw a meme the other day that was like, Bigfoot talking to his friends. Bigfoot's like, look, I'll be able to find some humans. Sweet Caroline. And then in the distance, humans. Bum, bum, da, bum. Da, da. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, they, uh, who is it? Red Robin needs to create a, a commercial like that. Where it's like, Red Robin. Yum. Oh, yeah, that would be genius, huh? <laughs> um, I did, Anyways, sorry. I did read while I was looking for other horror movies that came out that um, horror movies are the best date movies, apparently. I didn't read any of the articles because uh, why argue it? I don't See, I thought I was just odd and just wanted to go to horror movies on date night. Like when I was in high school and things like that and like in middle school where we'd have our parents drop us off at the movies to go to dates with our boyfriends. Because um, cool. Yeah, I always wanted to go to horror movies that were coming out. Like, I saw The Messenger in theaters. <laughs> I saw, uh, what was the first horror movie that I saw in theaters? It was When a Stranger Calls. That movie's awesome. Yeah, it made me terrified to walk down my I watched that hallway. movie Babysitting, and I was, uh, I shouldn't have done that, because they also had a coat rack that ended up looking like a guy in, like, the dark. The windows it in was it was, it was a rough time. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, yeah. All right. For well, our first episode of February, and for episode number four, we are doing one of Caitlin's favorite horror movies. This is a horror movie my dad and I. It's one of my dad's favorite horror movies too. Uh, we used to watch this camping every time we'd we'd take it everywhere with us. But it is the uh, 1961 version of Pit and the Pendulum, featuring uh, Vincent Price as always. He's a he's a he's a marvelous man. He really was. I had never seen this movie, and uh, but I, I grew up listening to Caitlin talk about it all the time. <laughs> So I was really excited to do this one, and it was great. Honestly, it's probably now one of my favorite horror movies as well. It was, it's really wonderful. It was so good, and not at all what I was expecting. I love the costuming in it, and it's very, Vincent Price is just, he just steals the whole show. He's just perfect. It's very, like, Elizabethan Shakespeare uh, mm-hmm. clothing-wise. Yeah, it's wonderful. So yeah, so my dad has always loved Vincent Price, so he he is the one that showed me all these movies as a young kid, and I grew up with them, and now they're my all-time favorite. Showing Izzy this uh this movie was on the DVD that I literally stole from my dad. <laughs> yeah, we had a watch party because it's not streaming anywhere for free, but it, you can rent it for two ninety nine on Amazon. Sponsor. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it was uh. So. 
1961 version was uh, directed by Roger Corman, who is a very well-known director. He's I didn't know he was 94 and still alive right now. <laughs> so kicking it. Good on you. Or not uh, so kicking movies, it. I guess. Maybe. He's 94. He might be still like grooving a little. Because when people are like, <laughs> he kicked it, that means they died. So I was like, maybe he's not kicking it. He's yeah, no, he's he's walking. He's with grooving. It. That's what he's doing. Yeah, he's. <laughs> Other movies you might know uh, are Little Shop of Horrors. He did the original Piranha in 1978, which I thought was really funny. Uh, he did Dementia 13 in 1963, and that movie is really good. If you've never seen it, it is another old black and white version it's wonderful andy showed it to me uh something more new he did death race in 2008 that uh, has jason statham in it i'm in love with that man who isn't i know for real (laughs) um and he he did sorry take this out of the podcast he did silence of the lambs how did i miss this yes he did um oh shit he which came out in february apparently fuck um but he also has he had like 52 directing credits which is ridiculous That's a lot of movies. yeah he's done a crap ton and a lot of them he's actually done a lot of edgar Allan poe short stories like that was just mm-hmm. something that he really liked um and uh, he pulled vincent price into other workings which i think is really cool too yeah it looks like he's one of those people who when he finds someone he likes to work with he he like kind of works with them quite often I also think um, everybody was trying to get at Vincent Price at the time because he was prime for horror movies and for scary and creepy. <laughs> um, he also has 415 producer credits, and uh, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> I just pulled out this one because I thought the name of it was funny. I've never heard of it before. It's... Sharktopus versus wo- you... Whale Wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whale Wolf. <laughs> um, it's, let's see, I believe it's on Hulu. I think it's on Hulu. I've seen this available to watch and stream. So there's another one, Sharktopus verse. I didn't include it because I couldn't pronounce it. To Dana It's a DDT. But I just thought that was a funny thing. Did you see the artwork for Sharktopus though? No. It looks it's the fr- it's like the head of a shark, and then the whole back is like the octopus tentacles. <laughs> oh my lanta, people! It be. looks, it looks pretty great. Um, wild, <laughs> fun little. Um, he also has forty three acting credits. He's kind of like, uh, oh my gosh, the name just left me. The Avengers director, guy maker maker of Avengers Marvel movies, comics. Stanley. Stan Lee. Yes. Okay. He's kind of like Stan Lee, where he puts himself in like tiny little spots in some of his. Gotta movies. add those little, gotta add those little bits of yourselves. The and cameos, the cameos are everything. Because uh, Alfred Hitchcock did that too. Oh really? Yeah. He, he has an uncredited stunt driver credit in the Fast and the Furious. I think that's amazing. Because <laughs> those so... movies are so recent that like his age, you're a stunt driver. That's cool. <laughs> it's so random. I'm also in love with the entire saga, even though it's incredibly terrible. Um, I can't take my eyes off it at all. (laughs) So, Vincent Price, going back to this lovely man uh, who stars in this film, um, he plays Don Medina, uh, the main character, well, one of the main characters of this wonderful movie. Um, And he died in October in 93. Um, He had a lot of awards. he also has a star on the the walk of fame in la which is that's in la right yeah 
Hollywood. Yeah, okay. It's in Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Cool. Uh, so we know he things. has a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Graphics. Great ge- ge- geography. That's. The- <laughs> uh, cool. Let me take that part out, too. Uh, nope. Stay in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. So he has a star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. And he, of course, has a Grammy nominee. Oh, my goodness. He has 211 acting credits, and obviously one of the biggest ones is he is in, he's one of the, he's the main voice, um, kind of like the narration in Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, and of course he does, he's in Edward Scissorhands, he's in Scooby-Doo the miniseries, and I mean, he's just, he's just a perfect villain in all honesty. Like, he does creepy perfectly. He is also the voice for Radigan the villain yes. in The Great Mouse Detective and he's quoted as saying that that was one of his absolute favorite roles partially because Do you of remember the watching songs. that in the basement? Yes, that is a dark Disney movie. It's so dark and the bat was so scary. Yeah. Uh, on IMDb, I just thought this was funny. They listed his trademark as frequently played villains who died <laughs> screaming. <laughs> no. Oh, fun little fact. Uh, at the haunted house that I used to work at, we have a animatronic that is aper- uh, actor-operated, and it's a big rat head that comes out and looks like it's going to eat you, and we named it Radigan. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was perfect. Vincent Price would be proud. Yeah, he would. I was. I hope so, at least. <laughs> um, the next who starred in this was in The Pit and the Pendulum is Barbara Steele. She plays Elizabeth, uh, the dead not so dead wife and sister <laughs> um so she is don medina's wife sister to uh francis yes uh so sister to francis who was played by john kerr um i but wanted she... to just point out that she was born in ireland yeah home <laughs> we're big irish people over here yeah big i got the red hair it's it's not Something that's strange in this world. <laughs> so poor uh, Barbara Steele. She only filmed one movie in the United States, and it was The Pit and the Pendulum. Um, and her experience was awful. Not necessarily like the filming with this movie or anything like that, but just because um, I think Fox had her contract, and she was just treated horribly. Like they told her that she was she wasn't skinny enough, and she was to she's beautiful and i don't know she she just she said it was awful um and then but during the filming of the pit and pendulum she actually gets injured when vincent price like grabs her by the throat um but she 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 just like went with it because it makes for part of the movie but i guess she kind of got injured (laughs) you go with it that's that's good acting (laughs) And the last uh, big player in this movie is, I think it's, is it Luana Anders? It's either Lana or Luana Anders. Um, I think it's, I think it's Luana. I believe it's Luana. And she played the sister to Don Medina. Yes. So going into the summary of this, uh, IMDb has a perfect um, confusing summary uh, because they say, and this is just straight from the website IMDb. In 16th century, Francis Bernard travels to Spain to clarify the strange circumstances of his sister's death after being, oh, sorry, 
after she had married the son of a cruel Spanish inquisitor. That is very vague. So we're going to give you some more detail. <laughs> Just a little bit. We edited and re-edited this, so it's shorter this time, hopefully. Francis, played by John Kerr, arrives at his brother-in-law's castle, who's the Don Medina, after his sister's death. It turns out that the Don believes she was accidentally buried alive. Buried? Buried. Buried. Buried alive. Um, after a doctor incorrectly labeled her as dead. She was found in the castle's torture chamber. Yeah, they have a they have a torture chamber. Um, <laughs> Spanish Inquisitor father and all. Yeah, her uh, Don Medina's dad was a inquisitor during the Spanish Inquisition, and that's where he would torture people. No big deal. Including uh, his wife and her lover when he found out that they were cheating together on him. He tortured and murdered them, uh, which is why Don Medina has like this awful idea that she was buried alive because he watched this happen and watched his father bury his mother P alive <laughs> ptsd man ptsd that would mess anyone up yeah um, but it turns out that elizabeth was faking her death in order to psychologically torture the don and she haunts him and makes him think that she's a ghost wandering the castle uh climbs out of her coffin and tries to kill him so that she can... Which is a beautiful scene. Just saying. I think it's so cool. Like, seeing her hand come out of the coffin. So cool. It has all the... This movie has a lot of, like, the traditional horror elements. But we'll get into that later. Yeah. yeah. And so her goal was to trick everyone into thinking she was dead. Turn around and kill the Don. And then run off with the doctor. Uh, so they could live happily ever after. But uh, the Don hits his head and has a psychotic break and then tr turns into, like, his father and tries to kill and torture everybody. <laughs> yeah, so he basically, like, he thinks that he is his father and turns into his father and then thinks that, uh, obviously, Elizabeth is his wife and then her lover would be his brother-in-law, Elizabeth's brother. And... Yeah. Poor Francis stumbles in on all of this and ends up in some random chamber, like, tied to a table under a very wild swinging axe-type blade <laughs> that is being lowered slowly from the ceiling, swinging back and forth like a pendulum. And, AKA the... Oh, sorry. And the he's located in the pit. Hold so the on. pit and the pendulum. Uh, the Don's sister wakes up, finds out that they're, this is all happening, grabs a house servant, and they save Francis. The Don dies in the pit, screaming because it's Vincent Price. And yep. <laughs> that's the end. <laughs> I feel like it was a lot shorter than I remember, but I think it's because as a kid, I feel like movies were longer because you had a shorter attention span. I think the length of it was perfect. Um, I think it was. It's not long. No, and fun fact, it only took them 15 days to film. That's impressive. Uh, I guess they did a lot of like pre-production work. So That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Rob Zombie did that. <laughs> I believe 31 was shot in like seven days. The fact. That's a great movie. But the... When the dawn... I saw it at Sundance. I could tell you all about it. 
the Don has like these flashbacks of his father torturing and murdering his mother. And those flashbacks made me think of Dumbledore's pensive scenes in Harry Potter because the edges are like all blurry. Well, it goes like it almost looks watery a little bit. Exactly. And it changes and it goes into a monochromatic like purple almost. And the uh, guy who filmed it, (laughs) I can't think of his name. Um, he had to do so much work to get the different colors and the fuzzy on the edging, which mm-hmm. is easy now because we can just use like technology. But he he had to like use colored film and then put it in like do all these chemical processes and then like reprint. I don't know, it was wild. But yeah. it was decided to shoot that story, or, like the flashbacks in monochrome, because uh, Corman. Right? That's the director? Mm-hmm. Roger Corman. Yeah. Corman, at the time, I guess, there was this big belief by psychiatrists that people dreamed in black and white, and so that's why he wanted to do monochrome. I googled that, um, and I guess now only 12% dream all in black and white, but they hypothesized that the numbers were higher back then because of black and white TV and movies. Oh, that, would make, that would make sense. That's understandable. So in the movie, mm-hmm. as a as you're meeting the brother, because you you come in and nobody's talking. There's like no talking in the first few scenes, <laughs> and it's a little awkward. Um, but you come up on this massive castle just on the edge of this cliff, and uh, it's it's it looks like a castle that the Adams family would just love. And uh, I think. While I was watching the torture torture chamber scene, all I could mm-hmm. think of was uh, Morticia and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Gomez, Gomez, like having their erotic foreplay scenes. On the wheel. <laughs> yeah, and like when she's being tortured on the rack or whatever. So the reason there's like no talking at the beginning and you don't see anything outside of the castle is because he believed that like Edgar Allan Poe, uh, who wrote the original short story that this movie is based off of, that his stories were created through Poe's unconscious mind. And so that's what Corman tried to bring to his movies. Hmm. So that's why in his movies, you don't see anything like uh, relating those movies to a real time. Because I guess there was a scene where you could see outside the castle and there was people like walking on the bridge in this movie, but he cut it out because he was like, no, that, that plants it in reality and i don't want that interesting so when john kerr arrives in the carriage and all you see is the ocean he corman is quoted as saying that he did that because it felt like a more uh i almost said a more better (laughs) it felt (laughs) like a better representation of the unconscious mind that he was like hoping to put this story in interesting okay i didn't didn't know that. Didn't see that. Interesting. Yeah, That's I wouldn't cool. have picked up on that either. I just thought, wow, good creepy element. Catholic castle yeah. <laughs> on like this huge stormy cliff face. I can't talk. With, with no speech, no talking, nothing, just silence. I'm just going to recharge while you keep talking. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, you know, we keep talking about this uh, torture chamber. I'm sure you want to know what kind of torture devices were in that chamber, right? I would, personally. <laughs> Now, I've been in a torture chamber, technically, because when I went, and I know you've been to Europe, too, um, 
but I went when I went to England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. We went to uh, I want to say it was in Scotland. We went to a torture chamber that was in an old castle, and they had obviously like they had like models of things, but it like still had the eeriest feeling. <laughs> I went to mine was a I think it was a museum in Prague, I think Prague or Vienna. I don't know, um, but yeah, it was just all the different torture devices throughout history. It was so sad crazy (laughs) yeah it's well it's insane to see some of the stuff that they used to do like so obviously you get the pit and the pendulum uh so the pit is literally just a pit um where it's just got spikes at the bottom so if you fall in you're probably gonna get spiked to death or you're just trapped so no way out in the movie they show vincent price like falling um into this pit and it was not as deep as I thought they were going to make it. Like, when I think pit, I think, like, endless pit. An endless pit. <laughs> which yeah. is which is what is in uh, Edgar Allan Poe's short story. It's, like, this super deep, dark pit. Because it's supposed to be, right. like, the depths of hell, basically. Yeah. Um, And which, I'm going to toss this in here real quick. Uh, when he th- you go to the torture chamber, you go through, like, all these caverns in the movie. And that entry to the torture chamber is the i'm like trying to show you with my hands <laughs> i know <laughs> when you go this way and this way um but there's a the archway that takes you into the doorway to the torture chamber is the only one that has like these spikes on it um mm-hmm. i don't know if you noticed that but i was like wow it's like the mouth of hell <laughs> oh, okay i like that that's where i went with that but yeah i I, I uh expected the pit to be deeper and then he was just like right yeah. there. And I was like, wow, you could just climb right out of there if you needed to. <laughs> yeah. So so in the pit in the movie, there's spikes at the bottom. So, you know, I mean, either way, you're either trapped and you're going to die down there or you get spiked to death. Um, then we have the pendulum, which is uh, basically a swinging axe. It's, uh, like, I want to say it's on a pulley, but it's not on a pulley. <laughs> well, he does have it on a pulley system type thing because he's swinging it manually at the dawn. Um, yeah, well, no, he's lowering it manually. But it, uh, it's in the Scooby-Doo live-action movie, uh, Spooky mm-hmm. Island. It's those ones when they're on the ride. Yep. Yeah, and it's then, uh, just and like Fred that. gets hit with one, but he has the book that saves him, and it throws him into a... And then, okay, so another one you see is The Rack, which is actually a very well-known one that people use in movies and things like that all the time. And that's the one um, where you see is stretching people. And it was invented in 1447. That's in, that's cool. And uh, it was first used in the Tower of London. Fun fact. Um, I read that the process of doing that is typically pretty slow because you're just like stretching them out until their limbs come until off. Until they'll talk or whatever. <laughs> just to liven up <laughs> the torture. Uh, because it was so slow, they would include additional torture like tearing out their fingernails and their toenails. Uh, I've done that once. Uh, oh, that yeah, it was that was rough. I can't imagine what that actually would be like to just have each of them just pulled slowly while you're being stretched. It's fine. <laughs> no, thank you. And then we have the wheel, which is roughly about the same thing um, as the rack, but instead of just being on a flat surface, it's actually on a wheel, and so you're being bent. I don't. I don't know when this was built or anything like that. Oh, I uh, when I saw that you wrote the wheel, I was thinking like they were on the wheel of fortune type thing. And they're just spinning and like throwing knives. 
I got you. Yours is way better. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a water wheel where it's just like filling with water and slowly just dunking their heads every time. Um, but no, yeah. So the actual wheel torture device was basically like the rack, but it was on a it was on a wheel, so it was arching the victim rather than just keeping them straight. That sounds a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, and then the big one that you see in this in the in the pendulum is the one that Elizabeth seemed what what I interpreted younger when I first watched these was what Elizabeth was really fond with and really liked for some reason. Um, but that's the Iron Maiden came back to bite her in the ass because that's what she got stuck in, <laughs> literally. Um, and the yeah, the Iron Maiden is crazy. It uh, makes me think of the Chokey and Matilda. I mean, it's basically what it was. Um, but it's smaller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, man. So there's, that's a good movie. <laughs> there's two versions of the Iron Maiden that you see. One of them is where... Um, it's basically a sarcophagus where mm-hmm. you put the person in and there's spikes. And in one version, you are like immediately impaled by the spikes um, when they close you in there and you basically just bleed to death. In another version everything's lined with spikes so they just leave you in there until you basically can't stand anymore and then you'll fall into the spikes or like bleed slowly bleed to death or whatever they want you to do but um, it also reminds me of the sleepy hollow film with johnny depp because that's how his uh mom dies and spoiler (laughs) from what i can tell oh yeah because she was like condemned a witch i gotcha Mm -hmm. um but from what i can tell uh there's no actual confirmation that the Iron Maiden existed because uh, it's usually like associated with medieval times, mm-hmm. um, but mostly it's just referenced by writers. And then once it got referenced, I think it was first referenced, I don't know, in like the 15 or 1600s or something. And mm-hmm. then people started making them based off those references, but it wasn't actually like use the way that people think it was um a famous historian says that people really like to associate this with the medieval times because it's really brutal and they would like to think that nowadays we're more civilized which is not true Mm. but we're more civilized than they were in the middle ages and i don't think waterboarding is more civilized than that (laughs) Um, and they just want to see themselves as less savage. Like being civilized was a really big deal in like the 18, 1700s, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, cause that's how they separated themselves and made themselves feel really good. Um, like, uh, think about when people came to America and they were like, Indians are savages. We're so much more civilized. No, yeah. not really. Um, um, can I pause for a second? Um, can I just make fun of you for saying unconfirmed? <laughs> <laughs> Did you write this? I wrote it really fast, okay? <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I saw that and I was like, unconfirmed. <laughs> I didn't say it though. I, I read it the right way. I just wrote it wrong. It just, it was just so wonderful. Put a smile on my face and made me giggle. I needed it. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. In 2003, Time Magazine reported that the Olympic athletes of Iraq uh, were quoted as saying that Saddam Hussein's son, 
who was once the head of the committee and country soccer federation, used to put poor performing athletes into an Iron Maiden. And there's like pictures of this Iron Maiden online, um, but he would do that as like a form of torturing them and humiliating them and making them just feel awful about themselves. No it's, big deal at all. It's not necessarily confirmed that that's what happened or if they were just saying that, but um, that seems like a pretty wild thing to make up. <laughs> For real. But, oh, and using an Iron Maiden out of like anything. <laughs> yeah, that was... Oh. That's that's insane. A lot of issues with that family. Yeah. Um, another one you uh, you see is the, the bed of nails. I don't know if this had a different term that it went by back in the day, but it's basically a bed of nails. Technically, Izzy and I have both laid on a bed of nails once. So I think what they used to do was um, they'd either they'd like lay you on a bed of nails and they'd either pile stuff on top of you mm-hmm. or they would like tie you to it and like pull you down onto it. One of those it's just two. some way to apply pressure basically to push you onto them. Yeah. Do you remember that time where we were laying on the bed of nails at that upside down amusement park or uh, museum? Yeah, but it like slowly lifts and then it goes yeah. back down. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, technically we still did it though. <laughs> so that was everything that was in the creepy torture chamber. And I'm like, you yeah. raised children in that house? <laughs> The rest of the castle is pretty cool. I mean, mine is that part. It's so dangerous for kids, though. Like, just as a mother, there are no railings on any of those stone stairs. There's... You know, I thought that as a kid, too, and I was like, that's terrifying. It would be so cold and drafty. Um, but they have so many clocks, and I think they're just trying to feed into, like, that pendulum thing. Like, grandfather clock. It's like, it's like foreshadowing, like, look at all these things moving. I read that in the Haunted Mansion Disney World ride they have a they specifically put in a grandfather clock as a throwback to the pit and the pendulum that's um, awesome which i mean i love that it has no ties to the pit and the pendulum except for there's grandfather clocks in this movie and pendulums are associated with those but that's cool yeah. too you hear the grandfather clock chime but i mean you do that you hear a grandfather clock chime in most horror movies i feel again this has a lot of like the traditional horror elements they also have an odd number of suits of armor, and they have like little tiny ones on their mantles. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are those they, used for? They just like the suits of armor. You never know when you're going to need one, even a mini one. They need friends, right? <laughs> uh, so, one of the things that I thought was interesting, I don't know if you noticed this, but whenever they're in their like dining room area, the camera is watching them. From the position of the fireplace so they are like the whole bottom screen is just covered in flames for like parts of it i thought that was a really cool way to do that kind of like they're in mm-hmm. hell already <laughs> like this is just uh, you're you're gonna die just a heads up it's a terrible place but like they're on the top here. they're on the top level of hell where they're just kind of like firing and then there's the pit at the bottom there you go <laughs> Uh, this was included in a, um, included among the American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 nominated for the top most heart-pounding American movies, which I think is pretty great. I, it's so good. The twist at the end that we already told well, you. And, but, um... and again, his acting, like watching Vincent Price like shift his entire mindset is so cool. 
because he has the greatest like facial expressions and tones and he's just so creepy (laughs) so his face is very unique and i kept Mm -hmm. trying to get a picture of his face and do it on one of those apps uh like what puppy do you look like (laughs) because he looks he has like a dog face but i can't figure out which dog and i could not get it to work but if anyone can get it to work send it to us because i want to know what dog he looks like i must know what dog vincent price looks like um um so before we start talking about the short story where if you could add a cat to this movie where would you put it I mean, if you want to go superstitious, you put a black cat in the dungeon and it's like it like runs out of the dungeon as like they're walking in or something. To be honest, it would make sense to have a cat because rats, for starters, we got to take care of those rats. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, the black cat thing would have been great. I would have loved to just see the black cat just like sitting on the bed of nails like it was nothing. (laughs) Just chilling. (laughs) It's just on the stretcher like, hey, guys, this is my favorite place to be. Watch me lick my leg. (laughs) <laughs> i love it i also would love to have like uh this uh the sister medina um with like a big fluffy cat like i could picture her with a big fluffy cat or maybe when vincent price is painting his uh don medina is painting his lovely bride she could be like petting a cat like dr evil that was another one hairless that I cat. <laughs> having a cat in her lap or something yeah there there could be opportunities for many cats in this house it's a great <laughs> castle a great place so as we've yeah. mentioned uh the pit in the pendulum is based on a short story by edgar Allan poe it was originally published in 1843 in a book of stories that was labeled the gift a christmas and new year's present for 1843 not sure that's a very happy christmas tale but you know i thought that was hilarious i think i feel like i have a version of that book so uh, if you want to know the story of this, uh, there is a beautiful rap that was made for Flocabulary, a teaching tool. Uh, you heard part of it at the beginning of this episode. We'll post the link for the YouTube video. Um, it is awesome. <laughs> it's pretty entertaining. Uh, but basically, in Edgar Allan Poe's version, there, it's in the first person of a person who is getting judged by the Spanish Inquisitors. He gets placed in this dark dungeon. He can't see anything. He's like wandering around trying to figure it out. He ends up tripping and almost falls into the pit. Uh, and then he like drops a stone to see how deep it is. And it just keeps falling and falling and falling. Um, and then he passes out. He passes out so much. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah. he's, he's like, I swooned because it's like old english Uh, well i mean like granted he's probably dehydrated and stuff but still it's just yeah yeah, benefit of the doubt he's like i swooned again but uh i thought swooned meant was like i'm i'm swooned i love you uh because you faint swooning oh okay um (laughs) but he he wakes up and he's strapped down underneath the pendulum just like francis in the movie Uh, But he ends up tricking some rats to chew through his bindings because this pendulum is going so slow. Like it's lowering ultra slow. (laughs) Like he passes out a few times. He has time to like contemplate life. Um, I'm sure the gear system back in the day wasn't great. uh, Well, I mean, it was torture. They did it on purpose. But uh, 
the the rats chew through it. He gets free. Um, but then the walls start like moving in, like in uh, Star Wars, uh, when they're. Oh, in the... I was thinking, I was thinking the Charmed episode where uh, Piper's having her fear and the walls close in on her. That works too. Um, but they're also like on fire, so they're moving in, and then he gets pushed into the pit, and right as he's falling, a guy reaches over and grabs him, and it turns out that that was the end of the Spanish Inquisition, and he got saved. Um, the historical roots of this story are kind of all over the place, um, which feeds into the idea that this was like not set in reality that the director was going for. The story takes place during the Spanish Inquisition in Toledo, Spain in the 1800s. Uh, the guy that saves the narrator at the end of it, uh, they refer to him as General... La Seille, because he's French, couldn't tell you how Mm -hmm. to pronounce that, which was a real guy, but he didn't have anything to do with the capture of Toledo that would have freed (laughs) this man. Um, Do you think, really quick, do you think that the director did that specifically, like thought in that mindset of not wanting to place it in reality, because it would be so hard to make sure he had the history proper? No, I... And it would just make it hard? I think that he was just trying to... um, I mean, I'm sure that might have been part of it, but I think it was more just artsy than that. Like, this was... Because he did that with a lot of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Fair. Okay. So, um... Just a thought. Yeah. I would also say that if you think of it as, like, being an unconscious thing, um, it kind of makes it creepier. Yeah. But at the beginning of the Edgar Allan Poe story, uh, there's this little quote in a different language. And it's called an epigraph, in case you wanted to know. Uh, But in English, it says, Here, an unholy mob of torturers, with an insatiable thirst for innocent blood, once fed their long frenzy. Now our homeland is safe, the funeral cave destroyed, and life and health appear where dreadful death once was. And this is actually supposed to be, I don't know if it still is, but it's supposed to be on the gates of a market um, at the site of Jacobin Clubhouse at Paris. And so this... Yeah, so this uh, takes it out of that Spanish time frame, just the fact that he included this. Because the Jacobin Club is a group that worked to take over full power of France after the monarchy fell in the 1790s. And that's like that let them eat cake time frame. Right. Um, And their tactic was basically to kill anyone who opposed them uh, with the guillotine and off with their heads exactly and thus began the reign of terror um so that's where lovely yeah so either way there's torture and it's awful (laughs) lots of blood um i just wanted to throw this in here because i thought it was great while i was reading stuff about this book um there was like this little pop-up that was like shakespeare's most notable burns (laughs) so i I wrote some down (laughs) so one of them uh, is a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality. That is from All's Well, the, uh, All's well That Ends Well, Act 3, Scene 6. Basically, they're just saying, you are an awful person, so take that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, another one was, away, you starveling, you elf skin, you dried... Uh, neat's tongue, bull's pizzle, you stockfish. 
<laughs> Bowls pizzle. I um, want to start using that. that oh, just wait. Uh, so that's from Henry the Fourth, Part One. Turns out that a bull's pizzle is a flogging instrument, like a a bull bullwhip, but it's made from a bull's penis. <laughs> so <laughs> just hitting people. <laughs> Oh, so whenever you're mad at someone, just call him a bull's pizzle. Fucking bull's pizzle. Or elf skin. I'm not sure why. I would I love to be elf means. skin. They I was going to say, they are pretty. And they live they live a long time. They're immortal. They stay young. I mean, shit, you call me elf skin any day. I mean, we're thinking Lord of the Rings, but maybe Shakespeare had a different rendition. Yeah. Bull's pizzle, though, that, on the other <laughs> hand, is pretty fucking great. The other one... um, was just I am sick when I do look on thee, which is basically just throwing shade. At I could hear lips. Winifred Sanderson saying that. Oh, that would be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> they should include that in the next movie. They do. They or they do. Like I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything. They are. I uh, wish. The director heard our podcast and was like, "Wow, you're so great. Come and help. <laughs> we need. <laughs> we need your sarcasticness." Uh, but there's a lot of religious symbolism in the original story that kind of, I would think, kind of gets lost in the movie. Um, but, like, the pit is associated with the fall, uh, which is, especially in, like, Catholicism, it has a real religious connotation, like the fall from grace. Um, so, like, Lucifer falling from heaven? Exactly. Adam and Eve picking the apple, their little picnic. Done. Uh, is called the fall Um, oh so the pit like you fall they're falling into hell kind of a thing see i know nothing about religion i don't even remember anything from like when we went to sunday school (laughs) but the pendulum is a personification of time and in the story when the guy is laying on the thing he looks up and he sees a painted depiction of father time um, and I guess in traditional renditions of time, he's holding a scythe. Is that what it's called? A scythe? 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 Scythe. There you go. A scythe. I speak English and I read sometimes. A scythe. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's spelled. <laughs> I know. I before E except after E. Um, but he's typically <laughs> holding a scythe uh, because time and death are so closely related. Time, again, plays into the whole pendulum thing with with clocks. Exactly. But instead of holding the scythe, he's holding the pendulum, which happens to have the scythe kind of at the end of it. The other thing was there's a lot of ties to the Book of Revelations. In the story, he talks about there's seven white candles that he has this vision about. Uh, there's the judgment of man. At the end, he hears trumpets, which is like a big deal in the Book of Revelations. Hmm. Yeah. Don't ask me about it. I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> but I looked for that kind of stuff in the movie and the only, the only tie that was really big besides having the pit and the pendulum and referring to the Inquisition, uh, was when he's in the pit and they're doing like that whole, and he's like looking at this, the pendulum and then looking at his tied hands and then looking at the walls and then looking at the pendulum mm-hmm. thing for like forever. Uh, he sees these like demons with red eyes painted on the walls. Mm-hmm. That's in the book as well. And I think it's supposed to be the people that judge them, the the inquisitors, the judge people, uh, turned into like demons with the red oh, eyes. Okay. Or that's what like he saw them as. 
um, because he was getting tossed into the depths of hell, basically. That would make sense. Uh, but if you Google the Pit and the Pendulum, uh, it gets related to a lot of random things. <laughs> yeah, I when I was searching for stuff, I came up a lot in different things that I I understand that a lot of like probably professors in college use this as like a teaching uh, short story. But there is so much on this. I got a little overwhelmed trying to do some research. I did too. So I was like Google scholaring it. <laughs> and oh. uh, it comes up as a phrase, like a, um, it's almost like a methodology. Um, it's been used to talk about economics, public health policy. I found an article that talked about how the pit and the pendulum, uh, the guy, the main character in the pit and the pendulum book describes the experience of patients who have a VAD, which is like those uh, heart, uh, it's a ventricular, if your heart starts Mm -hmm. beating, it fixes it for you. uh, Right. Thing. Yeah. That's like in your skin. There was this whole article. I think it was a dissertation. Somebody took the the pendulum and did the math for it uh, using Newtonian mechanics. And they oh, sketched a lot of work. They sketched it out. They did graphs. They used computer modeling. Uh, basically, they found that based off the description of the pendulum, um, the way that it was, uh, like how high it was and how big the sweep is. Because in the story, he says it gets wider. The sweep gets wider and wider as it gets closer to him, and it gets faster. But this guy found that it would actually get smaller. Um, like if you do this with a yo-yo, right? It'll get well, and it would slow down. And it slows down, exactly. So yeah. basically, when it got to the point where it hits you, it would just kind of stop. It wouldn't actually cut you. Which is why in the movie, I think they did a great job because they had Don Medina controlling it with the chains. He was mm-hmm. forcing it to swing and lower. So that mm-hmm. adds to that. I think they did, I mean, the whole, obviously, that whole part was really well done in general, especially for the time. The the whole thing was great. Um, Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) I'm so glad you like it. I, yeah, I'm glad I watched it, finally. Mm -hmm. The uh, only other thing about the book uh, that I thought was interesting, um, horror, uh, the word horror, appears 13 times. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if that was intentional, but it's pretty cool. That is pretty great. But the book and the movie have similar themes. There's like a dream stage, the nightmare stage, which is like the haunting part, uh, some sort of thrilling escape in the death of a monster. Um, the story reads kind of like black and white, like he's in the dark. And then he's still in the dark, but there's like a red glow. So he's like black and white with sparks of red, which is in the movie a lot. I think we talked about like how the castle's really gray but you have red mm. candles, their cups are red, the glass is red. It was, it's a good read. Uh, it's a short story. It's easy to read. The mm. English, it's not like Shakespearean English, so you don't need a translation. No. They just use big words. <laughs> Sometimes um, you got to look them up. <laughs> but it's really good. It gets into like, I don't know, it talk, it's philosophy meets suspension. No, sus- sus- suspense, suspense, philosophy suspense. meets suspense. <laughs> there you go it's good (laughs) um now i didn't know that there are more renditions of this to be honest like um there was a 1913 movie of this it was the first adaptation 
adaptation of The Pit and the Pendulum, and it was directed by Alice Guy LeBlanc. Do you think it's LeBlanc or LeBlanche? There's no law. It's just Guy Blanche. You're right. You're right. <laughs> just a little, a little French there. Um, so, yeah. Directed by Alice Guy Blanche. Um, it was the first woman to ever step behind the camera, which is really, that's, that's really cool. That's also uh, released- why it didn't get anywhere at the time yeah it makes sense why not a lot of people know about it uh so released in 1913 the unfortunately this is all secondhand from contemporary reviews as alice guy's adaptation of the pit and pendulum is partially lost and uh it's with the only uh with only the first of the three reels surviving which is really sad there is also a 1991 movie uh, by Stuart gordon and it is called the pit and the pendulum of course uh I watched that one. Well, I tried to watch it. It's free to stream on a streaming thing called Tubi. Um, I watched like the first 30 minutes of it and I could not do it. It was awful. Yeah, that's fair. But that's, yeah, really rough because the accents are all over the place. Like one person is speaking with an American accent. The next person is speaking with an English accent. The next person is clearly American <laughs> trying to do a Spanish accent. Consistency. It's just it's wild. But it's. It's still really dark, but I wouldn't classify it as horror um, so much as them trying to do like a period piece during the Spanish mm. Inquisition. But like a period drama almost. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's still dark and upsetting, but um, yeah, I couldn't finish it. But if you like that movie or you want to watch it and you decide you like it, tell me why you like it because <laughs> I want to know. Um, there was also a claymation made in 2006 of the, uh, it was a short film by Ray Harry Hassan. Um, it presents the pit and the pendulum. Yeah. Uh, so it won best short film at the Toronto Hispano America. Amer- <laughs> we don't have to read all these. You can just say like it won a shit cool. ton. Cool. Uh, so yeah, it, it won a bunch of, uh, like best short film. In- so that claymation must be pretty damn good yeah i wanted to try and find it but um i'm sure it's not free anywhere unless you like illegally watch it on youtube or something uh right i think there's a couple other like short versions of it um i'm i'm sure there are but i these are like the ones that are most notable uh the last thing that we're going to talk about uh i just i have a quote by director corman um he's quoted in 2013 as saying The cycle of horror right now is more explicit than when I was doing horror films. Indirection used to be the word. We suggested, we implied the horror by the cutting, camera movements, and storyline. The horror was built up and built up. Now you're more likely just to cut somebody's hand off and blood spurts across the screen and you get horror that way. I think that will start to fade. I've been around long enough to see cycles start, build, and come to an end. One director cuts off someone's hand at the wrist, the next at the shoulder. It just gets gorier and gorier. The audience will react and turn away from this. And that's Hmm. definitely a great uh, idea of how horror has changed over time. Um, Like we talked about Jeepers Creepers. We were like, why aren't we seeing all these horrific things? (laughs) Right. Um, But And he says the audience is going to turn away from this. But I think people are like, that's kind of boring. I want more. Mm -hmm. Um, like saw movies obviously the new hostel yeah the new movie that just came out freaky um which we'll talk about once it is available on streaming (laughs) um but it's it's like a slasher film um 
people will love their gore. People are always going to want the more blood. And that's like, just making a reference to another horror movie is when Evil Dead was remade. The producers went back to the original producers of the very first Evil Dead and they said, what do you want in this movie that you couldn't include back in the day? Because there was obviously so many more um, restrictions. And the producers like, we wanted blood. We wanted gore. We wanted more blood. And that's why in the remake you get so much blood. Fun little fact. So I think... I think there's always going to be different people that want different kinds of horror that are going to keep it on their seats or they're going to want that hand cut off. But there's going to be something to please everybody in the long run. There's a, I did find an article that went through like the stages of horror movies throughout history. So we'll have to go over that one day. Um, I think that would That'd be, be really, really fun. I'd love to read that. Um, so we'll go over that. So, but, yeah. Thus, we. The, pit and the pendulum. Conclude. <laughs> Um, I love this movie. I really do. It reminds me of my dad. It's a big just... And this is going to sound terrible. It's a big homey feeling of like being home, cuddling up with my dad with popcorn, watching this movie. And even though it's a horror movie, I still think that my parents pushed me into this. (laughs) Into this lifestyle. They didn't push you. They held your hand and you walked with them. You're right. My um, dad taught he he taught me his ways, and then I excelled from there. <laughs> although I probably wouldn't show it to my eight year old, uh, it's no, it's not, um, it's not like an adult only movie. Um, you could watch it with like preteens <laughs> if you wanted to be that parent. Um, like my dad, it's fine. <laughs> I had no shaming. Like we said, we were I watching Buffy, <laughs> so. Got yelled at that by my mom. It's fine. Yeah, she texted me too and was like, "You lied to me." <laughs> we didn't. We didn't lie. We just didn't tell her what we were watching. We love you, Mama G. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so go watch the movie. Uh, it's like we said, you can watch it on I think Amazon. You can rent it for two ninety nine. You could probably buy it at any store for pretty cheap. Um. The otherwise, we will see you in two weeks. Yep. For we won't see you. We'll hear you. You'll hear us. There <laughs> you go. You'll hear us. <laughs> We're gonna cover another Vincent Price movie, uh House House on Haunted Hill. Yes. One of another one that it was a, a movie that my dad and I would watch camping when it was raining outside. Not it, to be confused with uh the haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House or The Haunting, which I kept getting really confused. There's a <laughs> lot of movies that have to do with The Haunting, a Hill House haunting, a Hill ha- a House on Hill, House on the Hill. Anyways, but, but we're going to do the Vincent Price House on the Haunted Hill with the 1999 and I think it was 2007 remake. Follow us on Instagram at whore underscore cats underscore witch hats. You can email us uh, any movies, cat videos, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations at horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. You can follow our Facebook page. Which is just horror cats and witch hats. Uh, Just search it. 
it's linked to it. our Instagram. I don't know if you have to search horror underscore cats underscore witch hats or I don't think you do because I think technically that's the title because it came from our Instagram. Uh, let us know. Uh, please comment on things. We want to talk to you all. Uh, yeah, let us know. Additionally, uh, continue to listen to us wherever you are listening to our podcast right now. Please rate, review, follow, subscribe, follow. do whatever it is that you do. And until next time, meow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cats.